it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial choices in your life. One of the biggest financial decisions you ever have to make is buying a home and with it, getting a mortgage. And I'm really concerned about some trends that are playing out in the mortgage market. I want to make sure you know heads up on these. Also on today's episode, David's Bridal has brought up a bigger issue that we all need to be concerned about, and that's making deposits on items we buy but are going to receive at a later date. So of things that have driven me crazy over the last 20 years is something that comes up from time to time that is as bad an idea as a bad idea could be. The 40-year mortgage. And it's back. And why is it back? Because the cost of housing right now with higher mortgage rates is effectively so high in a monthly payment that people are wanting to buy a home, and going to a step that says step back because it's already bad enough with 30-year mortgages that everything you're paying pretty much is going to interest and almost nothing to principal for a long, 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 long time in that mortgage. 40-year loan, you magnify that problem because the ultimate cost of that mortgage, unbelievably high. Now, I'm going to say something that I don't say lightly. I don't say it in any way being flippant. But if you've listened to me long enough about cars, I have a simple rule. When you're shopping for a vehicle, if you need a loan for that vehicle, If you cannot afford the monthly payment on a 42-month loan, you cannot afford that vehicle. And why is it that I'm so strident about that? Because with a vehicle, what happens is when you take out a longer loan, the longer the loan is, the more likely you're going to be upside down on that vehicle for a long, long time, meaning that you owe more on it than what it's worth. And it can get really bad, ugly when something's not your fault at all. You're in an accident, some other driver's fault. The insurer of the other party only pays you what your vehicle is worth at that point, leaving you exposed to a big gap. So listen how this is papered over in the car business. They get you to buy an additional costly item called gap insurance to fill in that gap because you took out a longer-term loan and you have a vehicle worth a lot less than the remaining balance on the loan. It's compounding the problem. So with houses, got the same thing going on in a different wrinkle. With these ultra, ultra, ultra long mortgages, your ability to establish meaningful equity is really harmed by that ultra-long loan. Then you can be in a bind when interest rates decline. You may not have enough equity to be able to refi the loan you have into what will be a future lower rate 
if home values don't rise a meaningful amount over the years till interest rates decline. I mean, this is rough all the way around. This is where I, I want to make clear I'm not being flippant. It may make sense to rent for a while longer till you have the resources or ability or income savings to be able to avoid a 40-year loan. If a 40-year loan is what it takes for you to get into that home, you don't need to do it. Here's the other thing. There's new data that older people are buying a home and buying one right out of the gate with a 30-year mortgage. So if you're past 50 or past 60, think about taking out a mortgage that eliminates your ability to retire at a good age because you now have this yoke on you of a big mortgage payment going on month after month, year after year. People make decisions like this for today. And seldom when you make a decision for today, do you really absorb the consequences of what happens down the road from that decision today. So I love for you to own a home. I think it's one of the pillars of creating long-term financial security and, dare I say, potential wealth over the long haul. But you got to have your ducks in a row right to make it work. What would I say to somebody who's older, who's buying a home? Okay, so let's go back to the car rule, the 42-month loan. You know what I'm going to say. If you're a long-time listener, you already know what I'm going to say. And that is you take out a? 10 or 15-year loan. Thank you, Krista. So, Krista, what questions do you have for me today after I just handed out a lot of What's people's least desirable vegetable typically? Um, you know, it depends. For Cauliflower? Me, for me, it's Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts? Yeah, for me. But You know what I've them. learned to enjoy? What? Is broccoli. Oh, I love broccoli. Because when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer almost 15 years ago, that was the one thing that was considered to be a super, almost like a super drug for helping with prostate cancer. Oh yeah, broccoli. So and broccoli me. used to be one of those things that I would have a gag reflex from. Now I really enjoy eating. Yeah, it. and it depends on how you cook it. You know, you can make a lot of things more palatable. I can eat plain broccoli with no seasoning now That's and amazing. just eat that stuff. Yeah. All right, let's go to Nick in Maryland's question. We are looking to buy a home in the summer of 2024 with the goal of putting 20% down to avoid PMI and keep a reasonable monthly payment. When talking to the lender, he advised us to put down 19.5% because lenders will give us a better rate than if we put down 20%. He says it would likely save us one-eighth of a percent and we would be able to get rid of PMI within the first year. I'd never heard of this strategy before, and I'm wondering if he's onto something or if he's trying to get the better of us. Or he's on something. <laughs> a little context for our situation. We have approximately 75k equity in our current home and 25K cash in our house fund while putting away 4K per month into our house fund. We wow. are 27 and 29 with no kids, so we're in no hurry and trying to be as educated as possible before making the biggest investment of our lives. Okay, so first of all, that is the news of the weird thing. 
I've been doing this stuff a long time. I have never heard this 19.5 versus 20. You ever heard that? Do you think they want to get them into an arm or something? No, no, no. It's all about that PMI is really, really profitable for lenders. Oh. So I'm guessing that they're dangling that you get uh, an eighth of a point lower interest rate for accepting PMI as part of your loan, doing 19 and a half instead of 20. There are times in life, I've again, I've never heard this weird scenario anywhere. So it may be some new wrinkle in the mortgage market. It would be better to pay an eighth point higher in interest rate and be PMI free, not have to worry about trying to get rid of PMI yeah. later and all that. What if housing prices go down? In the well, they are in certain markets in right. the country. All right. Uh, thank you for saying that because I want to. I want to make yeah. this clear. There have been a lot of scary headlines recently that housing prices are going to be doom and gloom. There are a small number of markets in the United States that have retraced a prior year where home values went up at ridiculous increases. A lot of housing markets in the mountain states. This has happened in, and so all they've done is they've gone back some of that territory of the incredibly speculative run-up in prices. And yes, there will be scary headlines about this market's down 15%. This market's down 18% year over year. But go back two years and see the picture of that market. Now, obviously, a decline in those markets is great for people who've been on the sidelines now and want to buy a home. The mortgage rates, not so much good news. But when we have the economy slow down, you're going to see mortgage rates also come down. Jeffrey in Alaska says, I have a credit card that I pay in full every month and I have for years. They keep sending me notices to update my income. I worked when I first got the card, but now I'm retired and my only income is Social Security and savings, less than I was making when I was working. I have no debt other than basics, so it's not a problem. Should I update with the lesser income or keep ignoring the notices? My credit score is in the low 800s now. But if they lower my limit, which I never come close to using, the score would probably take a hit on utilization. How would they view my situation? Jeffrey, gosh, you're bringing up something so valuable. People who have retired and have a lower income in retirement are seeing that the banks are becoming really itchy about you. And it's becoming a problem in a number of scenarios. Something I want you to think about with this is do not fill in those. Just ignore those things asking you to update income. Because if somebody's income has stayed the same or risen, there is value in doing those. If your income has declined like it has in your case, no upside. One thing I'd like you to do, Jeffrey, join a credit union in Alaska and see if you can get a credit card from them. I want you to have more than this one credit card. I want you to use it sparingly, but I want you to establish another credit card account because the problem that's been going on is the banks get worried about where the economy's going. They've been cutting people's accounts off without notice, and then suddenly you have no card, and then it's much tougher to get one. So I want you to have a second card to protect yourself, almost like a hedge against what could happen with this issuer you have that you pay in full every month, they may still decide, even with you paying in full every month, they no longer want you. 
And Bill in Connecticut says, I was told by an acquaintance that they ran across an online merchant that does not accept Capital One branded credit cards. Have you heard of this? I'm curious why this would be the case as I was considering Capital One as their card offerings include both the virtual card feature and I had previously done business with them. If there's a reason why merchants wouldn't take their card, it pretty much negates my use for it as I would use it for online purchases. So you you scouted this. You didn't find any no, no. anything online about merchants saying, oh, well, what, your card's issued by this bank, so we're not going to accept this. Visa and MasterCard have uh, accept all cards rule for merchants, so they can choose not to accept Visa. They can choose not to accept MasterCard. As many merchants do, they don't accept American Express because American Express's merchant fees are so high. But they can't say with your card, because of the regulations, there's not a federal law on this, there's regulations that Visa and MasterCard have, that they can say, oh, well, this is Capital One card. We're not taking that. On the other hand, card issuers are saying where you're not allowed to use their card. Case of Capital One, they no longer allow your card to be used with some of those buy now, pay later kind of things. Affirm, afterpay, there's a few of them they yeah. won't take now. So uh, that's because there's more problems with chargebacks and all kinds of things. So what you're asking could be going on, but I think it would be rare. And also, again, it's against the regulations that Visa and MasterCard established for their merchants. Uh, just because they say that doesn't mean it's not going to be the case. What I'm experiencing more, more and more places that are setting floors and saying, we don't accept credit cards below $20, $10, whatever. I was in a hardware store last week and there were two registers open and the woman next to me was trying to buy something for $8 with a credit card. And the poor guy running the register is like, I'm sorry, we can't accept a credit card for purchases of less than $10. And I would have thought that there was going to be war there. Mm. And my item happened to be $4 and 48 cents. And I, you know, I have that small amount of cash I carry. Mm -hmm. It was there for me and I was able to pay. So you're going to find merchants trying more and more to reduce the huge hit that they're suffering from credit cards, particularly in many cases for the smaller purchases. But denial because your card says Capital One, that's news to me. Coming up, speaking of credit cards, I want you to know the dangers you face as, uh, you know, the David's Bridal situation is potentially exposing. One should be really careful when you pay deposits for things with a debit card or cash. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So imagine you're running a retailer and you file for bankruptcy, you reorganize, things seem to be going okay, then you file for bankruptcy again, and it seems to be a common refrain in retail. Retail has been through so much tumult, and not specifically and just because of COVID, retail is tumultuous. And we are so overstored in the United States, it's crazy. And then even what are known as category killers have been having trouble surviving. Category killer is where Uh, Think about Lowe's and Home Depot and hardware, or think about Walmart and Target and discount shopping. Those are called category killers. But category killers, market conditions can change, and they go from being hugely strong to weak to a footnote. You may remember in electronics, Circuit City, that was so all-powerful till Market conditions changed and they went extinct. And now Best Buy is having a tough time and having to lay off another large number of people. David's Bridal, second trip in bankruptcy. Who knows how it's all going to ultimately play out in the court process. But the danger that I want to make sure you're aware of with any stuff you order in advance is that you never... Never, never, there are no exceptions. This is under my never, 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 not ever rule. Pay a deposit by cash or by debit card. Always have to remember to say or debit card because a debit card legally is treated the same as cash. Never pay a deposit for something that you're going to get later. It can even be cruises because we had all those people who lost huge money on cruises when that luxury cruise line went bust, I guess, last year. So when you pay, and the ones we heard about by far the most, and I did so many stories in my television work on the furniture retailers that took deposits from people and then failed. And people did not get the furniture. They never saw their money again because the nature of how you pay a deposit is core and key. And so if you order a wedding dress at a, at a bridal store and you pay that deposit by cash or debit card, that money's exposed if that bridal store goes bust, just as it would be with an airline ticket. If an airline goes bust, if you do the cruise thing I was talking about, any circumstance where you're paying in advance for something you're receiving later, This is the circumstance where you pay by credit card. Shopping online, pay by credit card. Because if you pay by debit card, you do not have protections in the event that they never send you the merchandise or send you merchandise not as represented. So I know there are people who are afraid to use credit cards because of the fact that they get into trouble with them. That's a reality. That's a fact. So... The time you would use a credit card as an exception to that rule is if you are doing a purchase that involves you getting the merchandise later. And so that would be something you'd have to be 
careful that you don't buy something you won't later be able to afford to pay for, but can you afford to lose the money you put up if that retailer skedaddles, that airline goes bust and goes insolvent, or any of these circumstances, furniture more than anything else we heard about. I had one just recently involving someone who bought a stove from an appliance store, like it was on back order and was being delivered later. The appliance store fails. Guess why that individual got their money back? Chargeback? They had paid by credit card for the stove. They had had to pay in full for it mm-hmm. for delivering later. And the only thing that saved her was she had paid by credit card. So what you got, Krista? I've got Donald in Florida. I'm running as a heads up for your listeners and viewers about a possible scam involving home delivery of groceries ordered online. My wife recently ordered home delivery from our local store. Our bill came to approximately $249 plus a fairly generous tip for the driver. The delivery was on time and the driver courteous. However, here's the caveat. My wife always checks the receipt to make sure all of the items ordered were delivered Some substitutions are expected. However, the last item on the receipt was for an energy drink that she did not order, did not receive, and that we were charged $3.09 for. My question is this. Have you heard from anyone who might suspect, as we did, that the delivery person may have decided to purchase an item for him or herself, hoping the average person would not notice this on the receipt? So we had heard this before, Donald, in twenty when stores were ramping up and pivoting to try to get groceries to people when so many people were staying home during COVID, there were problems where people were being charged for things that they had not ordered and were showing up on the bill. They were charged for things they had ordered, but didn't show up in the delivery and all that. And so you point out a very important rule, and that is you got to Make sure you audit that receipt and then you contact the, if you did it through a third party online or the supermarket itself runs its own delivery service, you just go back to them. And I assume that if you did, they would have credited this energy drink. It's also, let's talk about possibilities here. It's possible that absentmindedly this individual was planning to pay for it for themselves and forgot. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be somebody was cheating you. There is that possibility. He did say he, I didn't read that part, but he said it's possible. It could have been an honest mistake, but I can't help wondering if this thing is more prevalent than reported. So, well, based on what we heard when people push so hard from traditional grocery shopping to delivery, which is really quieted down actually in the last year with the amount of delivery going on with groceries, you know, you got to check those receipts on those deliveries because there are going to be errors that could be uh, accidental and in some cases on purpose. Now, remember this with grocery delivery. From most sources, you're going to pay more for the items you're buying when you order online delivery of groceries. So you're paying potentially a delivery fee and you're paying higher prices for the groceries. From Garth in Tennessee, I've been listening to you for the past 15 years since graduating from college, and I can't remember how many times you've said never, 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 not ever to give your social security number at medical clinics. Well, lo and behold, I had to take a drug screen for a new project site for work. I did not give my social security number at the front desk. 
and was not required to do so. However, after I was in the patient room, the nurse said it was required to submit the e-screen and she would not be able to complete the screening without it. After giving in begrudgingly, I did so. So after leaving, I noticed that where my social security number was located, it said employee social security or employee ID. I wasn't informed that an employee ID could be used in lieu of my social. (sighs) Refusing a drug screen at my employer constitutes a fail and I could be terminated. Is there any way to report this kind of activity? On a side note, our children's dentist also told my wife it was required to give a social security number for treatment after not filling it in. What should we do here? Okay, so first things first, you already did your part by bringing up on employee screenings that if you work for an employer that has an employee ID number, that is what should be used. You don't want to give the social security number unless your employer is reckless and careless and leaves you exposed by putting your social security number on a medical form. Why does the dentist want your social security number? Why does any medical provider so that they can turn you over to collections later for an unpaid bill. That's why they want it. Um, The other possibility, as has been pointed out in Clark Stinks, some people have dental coverage, which I was not aware of because medical can't do this, that uses social security number for running the dental coverage. This has come up with vision coverage. We had that as well that came up in a Clark Stinks. So if there's not something involved with payer, then you don't want to supply it. We have at Clark.com some sample social security numbers you can put in on medical forms that are never assigned to anyone, and it will should just run right through their system just fine, and so you don't have to worry that you're causing somebody else a problem because they're numbers that the Social Security Administration is never going to assign to anyone. But this push and pull with medical is a real problem because roughly half of all identity theft problems in the United States come from medical, where they may do a great job taking care of your teeth at a dentist's office or your medical needs at medical facilities. They are flat out terrible at data security. And that's why medical is such low-hanging fruit for identity thieves. Kevin in New York says, A friend of mine is looking forward to a trip to Japan this summer. She has several large tattoos, and according to some chat groups, she learned the tattoos may not be socially acceptable in Japan. Is that true? And if so, do you have any suggestions? Perhaps she can wear long clothes that will cover most of the tattoos while in public. So, um, having traveled to Japan many times, You generally won't see tattoos as prevalently as you will in the United States, uh, in Europe, other parts of the world. And the reason has to do with Japanese gangsters and gangs that historically having full body tattoo art and things like that is a sign that you are identified with a gang or gangsters. I forget the, there's a term for this combination of gang gangster kind of thing in Japanese. And so it's generally in mainstream Japanese society frowned on. Westerners commonly go around Japan with tattoos and I don't see anybody being looked down upon or anything like that, that it's more an internal thing in Japan. And an abundance of caution Yeah, you could wear long sleeve shirts maybe, 
and cover up if you have you know what they call a sleeve where you've got full tattoos on your arm maybe it would be a good idea to wear a longer sleeve shirt till you assess things on the ground and if you see people routinely out and about with tattoos and everything seems cool and chill then you don't have to worry about the long sleeve shirts you might not be admitted into like a gym or like a pool things like that some of them have rules about it still but yeah so i mean it is it this is a cultural thing that came about because of the criminal gangs and that's why it's not they're specifically looking down on tattoos it's what tattoos in japanese culture represent i want to thank you so much for being with us today and i'm sure if something about what I said oh, let us leads know. to a Clark Stinks, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and say that I am clueless no matter how many times I've been to Japan. And I want you to know also we are here to serve you around the clock at Clark.com. If you have something you're trying to figure out, some way you're trying to reduce your expenses, gosh, especially right now. Everybody in streaming is falling all over themselves trying to raise your rates. So this may be a time for you to reshop what services you have streaming from. And I should mention, we'll mention this closer to when it goes into effect, Netflix in a very short period of time is implementing in the United States what they've already tested overseas, where people who share their Netflix password with a family member or friend who lives at a different address, you're going to see Netflix hit you with uh, significantly higher bills or you'll have to jettison those people from your account, effectively, again, raising your rates again. We're going to keep you up to date with our tool that, Krista, nobody else has a tool like this in America, do they? I haven't seen one. So our tool, if you're not familiar, you go to our... Go to Clark.com. Clark.com. And you go to our guide on video and you'll see where you can put in your first favorite channel and we'll show you the cheapest way to get that. And then you put in your second favorite and on like that. And you may find by like your fifth or sixth one, hey, if I want that channel, my bill's going to go up $25 a month. Is that channel really worth it? And so the whole idea of the tool is to help you surgically figure out What's the best bang for your video streaming buck? Right. And it's under streaming. That's what we have. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What did I call it? Video. Video. I'm sorry. It's okay. Should have said video streaming. Something like that. I always mess up all the modern video language because the way we're getting content is so different. I mean, what would you call it when people are are getting video from Instagram or TikTok Mm -hmm. or Facebook? It's all just content and wherever you want to receive it. Exactly. And so anyway, enough about that. Have a wonderful day.